Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Remember this. Jesus does what only God can do. He receives honor only God deserves, and he demonstrates power only God can claim. Hello, hopeful. Welcome to episode 1968 of our journey together through the Bible. Glad you've joined us as we together seek to be transformed by reading through every word of God's revelation of himself, his mind in print, and maybe even considering our own life and work stories in light of that, including a decision that we, all of us, need to make. What are we going to do with this knowledge of who Jesus is? As we heard yesterday, the narrative of John chapter 5 shifted from curiosity to opposition and from interest to persecution. The shift in attitude toward Jesus corresponds with Jesus' further establishing his own authority. And Jesus' authority is seen as he reveals himself to be Lord over sickness and Lord over the Sabbath. We pick up today in John 5 at chapter 17, and as you remember from yesterday, they began persecuting Jesus because of what he was doing. Here we go. Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom He wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself, and he granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man." Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. 
There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to your father, to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? And my friends, it's getting serious around here. (laughs) That finishes up John chapter 5. And in a sense, John, or I mean Jesus, introduces four witnesses to his testimony, meaning truth tellers. And he leaves the religious leaders with no excuse for rejecting him, which, of course, is our problem, too. Jesus warns the religious leaders about the serious consequences of denying his deity, and indeed the question for the next person you meet is, what are you going to do about the person and work of Jesus? Because, my friends, rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. Turning to our Old Testament segment, today we catch the short book of Nahum. Now, Nahum wrote to the people of the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of Manasseh, who we just finished up reading about yesterday. But what he predicts is the downfall of the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Yeah, that same Nineveh that we read about in Jonah, who because Jonah went and preached to them, repented of all their sins. Well, this is a hundred years later, and it's a big, nasty mess. Now, Judah, their state of things, was as a humbled and disillusioned populace, which had suffered not only the wickedness of its own king, like Manasseh and his son, but also the reduction of of their nation to being a vassal, a slave, in a sense, of one another country, which in this case was the evil Assyrian Empire, and the capital was Nineveh. So, somebody here needs a holy God, don't you think? (laughs) Here is the book of Nahum. The pronouncement concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. 
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, even the flower of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his burning anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Even rocks are shattered before him. Next section, the destruction of Nineveh. The Lord is good. A stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. But he will completely destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood and he will chase his enemies into darkness. Whatever you plot against the Lord, he will bring it to complete destruction. Oppression will not rise up a second time. For they will be consumed like entangled thorns, like the drink of a drunkard and like straw that is fully dry. One has gone out from you who plots evil against the Lord and is a wicked counselor. This is what the Lord says. Though they are strong and numerous, they will still be mowed down, and he will pass away. Though I have punished you, I will punish you no longer. For now, I will break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. By the way, pause. That was a promise of Judah's deliverance. Next section, the Assyrian king's demise. The Lord has issued an order concerning you. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. I will eliminate the carved idol and cast image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Look to the mountains, the feet of the herald who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows, for the wicked one will never again march through you. He will be entirely wiped out. Next section, attack against Nineveh. One who scatters is coming against you. Man the fortifications, watch the road, brace yourself, summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore the majesty of Jacob, yes, the majesty of Israel, though ravagers have ravaged them and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his warriors are dyed red. The valiant men are dressed in scarlet. I'm just going to pause and just paint a description here. The Syrian army was known for being really brutal, and one of the things that they would do is like cover themselves in the blood of their enemies. I'm going to pick right back up. The shields of his warriors are dyed red. The valiant men are dressed in scarlet. The fittings of the chariot flash like fire on the day of its battle preparations, and the spears are brandished. The chariots dash madly through the streets. They rush around in the plazas. They look like torches. They dart back and forth like lightning. He gives orders to his officers. They stumble as they advance. They race to its wall. The protective shields is set in place. The river gates are opened, and the palace erodes away. Beauty 
is stripped. She is carried away. Her ladies-in-waiting moan like the sound of doves and, and beat their breasts. Nineveh has been like a pool of water from her first days, but they are fleeing. Stop! Stop! they cry. But no one turns back. Plunder the silver! Plunder the gold! There is no end to the treasure, an abundance of every precious thing. Desolation, decimation, devastation. Hearts melt, knees tremble, insides churn, every face grows pale. Where is the lion's lair, or the feeding ground of the young lions, where the lion and lioness prowled and the lion's cub, with nothing to frighten them away? The lion mauled whatever its cubs needed and strangled prey for its lioness. It filled up its dens with the kill and its lairs with mauled prey. But this is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. Beware, I am against you. I will make your chariots go up in smoke and the sword will devour your young lions. I will cut you off your prey from the earth and the sound of your messengers will never be heard again. Next section. Nineveh's downfall. Woe to the city of blood, totally deceitful, full of plunder, never without prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and jolting chariot, charging horseman, flashing sword, shining spear, heaps of slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over their dead. Because of the continual prostitution of the prostitute, the attractive mistress of sorcery, who treats nations and clans like merchandise by her prostitution and sorcery, I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. I will lift your skirts over your face and display your nakedness to nations, your shame to kingdoms. I will throw filth on you and treat you with contempt. I will make a spectacle of you. Then all who see you will recoil from you, saying, Nineveh is devastated. Who will show sympathy to her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Are you better than Thebes that sat along the Nile with water surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea, the river, her wall? Cush and Egypt were her endless source of strength. Put and Libya were among her allies, yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her children were also dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her dignitaries, and all her nobles were bound in chains. You also will become drunk. You will hide. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are fig trees with figs that ripened first. When shaken, they fall right into the mouth of the eater. Look, your troops are like women among you. Your lands, city gates are wide open to your enemies. Fire will devour the bars of your gates. Draw water for the siege, strengthen your fortresses, step into the clay and tread the mortar, take hold of the brick mold. The fire will devour you there, the sword will cut you down, it will devour you like the young locust. Multiply yourselves like the young locust, multiply like a swarming locust, you. You have made your merchants more numerous than the stars of the sky. The young locust strips the land and flies away, your court officials 
are like a swarming locust, and your scribes like clouds of locusts which settle on the walls on a cold day, and when the sun rises they take off, and no one knows where they are. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your officers sleep. Your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. There is no remedy for your injury. Your wound is so severe. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands because of you. For who has not experienced your constant cruelty? And my friends, that's the book of Nahum. And, and you know what? I wanted to share an idea with you here, and then we're going to close out with a short psalm for our wisdom segment. How should Nahum, like a book like that weird stuff, be understood in relation to the rest of the Bible? Well, each book of the Bible, of course, has a distinctive message, and when you consider them all together, all the books reveal the big theme of the Bible— that there is salvation and blessing for all who repent. But for those who don't, there is judgment and punishment. And the unfolding biblical truth can be explained by the following two things. This is why we trust our Bibles. One is constant inspiration, meaning presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe, we know, because God said the Bible is Holy Spirit-breathed. And the second is progressive revelation, meaning we understand things differently now than they were then, but God is the same throughout the whole story, right? God doesn't change. We understand in progressive revelation up to, the, up to Jesus, but God doesn't change. The whole thing hasn't changed. We just have a fuller body of knowledge now. Now, the hopeful part of all of this is also captured in the Old Testament. In this case, in our closing wisdom segment, Psalm 149. Hallelujah! Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel celebrate its Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the faithful celebrate in triumphal glory. Let them shout for joy on their beds. Let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands, inflicting vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, binding their kings with chains and their dignitaries with iron shackles, carrying out the judgment decreed against them. This honor is for all his faithful people. Hallelujah. Now, my friends, I'm just going to pray this. But, Lord God, I, I, I know that in the New Testament, you've promised that we will be more than conquerors. And Lord, we understand that differently than taking swords to f kings that are dissing on you, Lord, but, but we have been given no less spiritual authority by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So Lord, I pray that we here today would recognize that only Jesus does what only God can do and that he receives honor that only you deserve and he demonstrates power only God can claim. And Lord, I just pray that we would, even if we don't fully understand it, that we would truly own it. That by the power of your spirit, you've given us a grace that covers our sins. And Lord, we thank you for that. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.